You're listening to The Soul's Way Podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I'm an author, a speaker, a mentor, and I help individuals align with their soul and create the ripple effect that they came here to create. Are you ready to manifest your best life the soul's way? If so, you're in the right place and you're definitely here for a reason. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Soul's Way podcast. Such a juicy, rich conversation for you today. I know I say that a lot, but seriously, there is so much here um, in this conversation with Hannah Stinson. And this this conversation, it just gets better and better and better as it goes. So I encourage you to listen all the way, way to the end. Please don't mind my sound being a little bit quiet when I'm speaking. It's my, my microphone keeps not working with my MacBook, which is really frustrating. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So for this interview, I had to just use my laptop um, microphone. And instead of like spending time and money waiting for somebody to fix up the audio for me, I'm, I just want to get this conversation out to you. And I hope you can appreciate the imperfection. I feel like, you know, I'm a real person. Like you can still hear me anyways. It's just like a little bit quiet when I speak and that's fine. I'm a quiet speaker anyway. So I trust that if you need to turn it up, you'll turn it up and you'll enjoy this conversation nevertheless, because seriously, there is so much gold here, especially if you are a spiritual coach or mentor or a coach or a mentor in any capacity and you're leading others and you want to know how to be a better ally and how to honor the roots of manifestation and spirituality. That's what we're going to talk about. But we also spend the first bit of the episode talking about Hannah's sobriety journey, um, a little bit of their background and how they got into um, this work. They are non-binary person. So we touched a tiny, tiny bit on that, but I know um, on what it's, you know, we, we'd barely scratch the surface on what it's like being a non-binary person, how we can better um, be more inclusive towards non-binary folks. But Hannah has agreed to speak more to that at the roundtable where she is going to be a panelist. The roundtable Decolonize Your Coaching Business is a two-hour virtual circle where you ally coaches are welcome to pull up a seat, lean in, and listen as I share a 60 to 75-minute training on things you can do to decolonize your coaching practice and make it more inclusive and supportive for those of us in the global majority. And um, and then we have the second half of the two hours is going to be a panel and Hannah is one of our panelists. So a little bit about Hannah before we dive in. Hannah is a published author, divine somatic healer, spiritual life coach, and yoga teacher, helping individuals connect with their inner child and soul selves to heal trauma and energy blockages. They are the founder of Healing with Hannah and the author of Entering the Divine, One Breath at a Time. Hannah guides people on their healing journeys using such a wide and amazing variety of healing modalities, some of which you'll get to hear about in this episode. So without further ado, let's dive in and enjoy. All right, welcome everybody to the Soul's Way podcast and a big warm welcome this morning to Hannah. Hi Hannah, how are you today? Hi, Emily. I'm doing very well this morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on and chat with you. I'm really, really honored and humbled to be here. Absolutely. I'm so, so, I feel the same. I'm so honored to have you here and I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, I think just from like our first chat where we were kind of just getting to know each other really quickly, I I immediately knew that our conversations would need to be recorded or one of our conversations would need to be recorded because we just have 
um, so much in common and so much to passionately share with everyone about the manifestation industry, the coaching industry. But before we get into all of that, um, why don't you introduce yourself in your own words to everybody and just let us know a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, of course. Well, again, thank you for having me. I'm Hannah Stinson. I am the CEO and founder of Healing with Hannah. And before I share what I do within my work, um, I always like to start with who I am or who I view myself as a person. So I am a yogini. I am a creative visionary. I am a futuristic visionary. I am a witch in all forms, a cosmic witch, a green witch, a kitchen witch, uh, an elemental witch. I am someone who does my best to leave everyone I meet happier than they were before they had an encounter with me because I just love to connect and, and share my share my big heart and, and share my love with everyone. And that kind of just trickled over to what I do for within my business. Um, so I started my business in July of 2020, as I think so many others can relate. Maybe they started businesses during the pandemic as well. And everyone around me thought like, what the heck is this? Is this girl doing? What the heck is Hannah doing? I, of course, I've had so many people who supported me on this journey of being an entrepreneur, but I had a lot of people who were um, very hesitant and, I really had to put the blinders on, as I think most entrepreneurs can relate to, of just trusting my vision and, um, you know, not letting the projections of others seep into my world. So within the first six months of my business, I wrote and published my first book, uh, Entering the Divine One Breath at a Time. And I'll, you'll probably hear me mention this book uh, throughout our talk together because it just has been such a huge part of my journey uh, through sobriety and through spirituality. But I started my business teaching yoga, you know, offering one-off tarot sessions, uh, doing art therapy, and I never in a million years thought in, you know, just over two years I'd be where I am as a spiritual life coach and a divine somatic healer and a yoga teacher as well, uh, you know, running group programs, working with people one-on-one, -on -one, having a very successful online membership, uh, being an Akashic record reader and helping people heal on the most divine spiritual level. Of course, Akasha is a Sanskrit word. So being a woman of, or a person of uh, Hindu descent, it, it only made sense that I found the Akashic records again in this lifetime. Uh, so I really love to infuse healing the body with healing the soul, because it's all related. We're, we're, we're a holistic system. And I do a lot of work around healing the central nervous system with my clients. Um, it is something that I will probably speak of till the cows come home, because it's just so imperative for our, our healing journeys to have a regulated nervous system to be able to live in a state of ventral in a world that is so dysregulated where so many people, myself included, for most of my life, lived in a state of sympathetic or dorsal, lived in a state of scarcity and survival, because uh, it was all I knew. So my journey of healing my central nervous system has really allowed me to step into the energy of internal safety, of abundance, of expansion, and then weaving the spiritual work that I do through the Akashic Records, through tarot, through uh, Hindu mythology, and so much more working with the moon phases it could go on and on uh 
weaving all of this together so you can understand that once you heal your physical vessel, which is an ongoing journey, you are able to tap deeper into your spiritual gifts, into divination, into your intuition, your inner wisdom, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, and allow yourself to really live a life that is in alignment with who you are at your soul's expression. Uh, you know, obviously that comes through working through healing childhood trauma and healing your ancestral lineage and healing past life karmic scars. And these are all things that I am certified and trained in because uh, I come from an, a, a background in addictions counseling. Whoa. <laughs> I think that's a lot. Amazing. <laughs> no, I love it. And I love, because like you do so many things and a lot of us as entrepreneurs are, especially like spiritual entrepreneurs, we're very multi-passionate. Multi um, and so like you do, you work with so many healing modalities and you, you have so many passions, but they all, like you said, they weave together so beautifully and it really is all interconnected. Um, like in many indigenous cultures, they, you know, reference the medicine wheel, which it shows that mind, body, spirit, emotion, it's, it all needs to be in balance. It all needs to be in harmony and absolutely agree with, you know, everything you said, I was just over here going, yes, 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 about the nervous system and the body and how if those things aren't taken care of, then we can't even get to our like spiritual channel. We can't focus on our greater purpose here because we need to, yeah, we need to have good, good bodies and good earth vessels to do our good work in. So I love that you just, you heal, you help heal people on such a holistic level. Um, what I'm curious about is, was there like, I know you talked about starting your business, your business officially in the middle of the pandemic, but was there like a moment in your life or um, a moment in time where you decided that this is the path and you want to, you want to help heal people? Like, how did you get into doing this work or did you just always, did it always just like come natural? I love that question. I've definitely been a healer since, well, every lifetime, but this lifetime started <laughs> very, very young. Um, I always knew when, you know, as a kid could pick up on energy. So I always knew when someone was hurt, when someone needed a shoulder to cry on. And I was always like, my friends would always call me the mother bear or, you know, the nurturer or the one that everyone went to if they needed advice or they're going through a breakup or whatever it was. And so I think I just naturally helped people heal by just allowing them to be someone to hold space, right? To have someone listen to them and offer words of wisdom that often, you know, I was channeling from the divine that I had no idea, you know, at seven years old, 10 years old. I mean, by the time I was 15, 16, I had a bit of an understanding of my gifts. Uh, so it's always been there. And then I guess it would have been when I was doing, so I, I graduated from um, what was formerly known as Ryerson, which is now known as the Toronto Metropolitan University. I hope I said mm -hmm. that right. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't get a new diploma, so I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but I graduated from their uh, fashion communications programs with a Bachelor of Design. Mm -hmm. um, I worked in fashion and marketing for, for many years before I pivoted. But in my undergraduate thesis, I had to uh, put on a capstone project. So to write, write an undergraduate thesis paper accompanying a, a capstone project, which is pretty much um, some form of creative, tangible work. And so I decided to raise awareness and um, share education around endometriosis, which is a uh, reproductive chronic illness that I live with. And 
I put on a exhibit of uh, art and photos and videography pieces and um, installations, like it, you name it, I, I went all out. And throughout this process, I had to connect with other uh, individuals living with endometriosis. And I started doing therapeutic art with them to help them really tap into their emotions and you know, releasing that stagnant stuck energy from their body. And that was probably the first time I realized, wow, like we can use other forms of modality to heal. You know, it's not just therapy. It's not just, it's not just talk therapy, I should Mm -hmm. say, which is all that I was really um, doing at the time myself beyond, you know, yoga and different practices. And I remember I, I had to be we had to be judged. So you had to present your, you know, your final capstone project, your undergraduate thesis in front of a panel of five judges. And every single one of them told me, Hannah, you need to go into art therapy. You need to help people heal through art. You need to help people heal. Like you just have this in you. Mm -hmm. And of course my ego was in the way. And I was like, no, I'm going to work in marketing. I'm going to be like, (laughs) you know, do this in fashion. Like I had all these visions and then things happened within my life mainly due to my addiction. And um, I ended up having to move back to Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is where I'm from. And when I moved home, within a few months, I started volunteering at an addiction center. And I was doing I was teaching art. Within a few weeks, a position opened up to work part time as a support worker. And I jumped on the opportunity because I just started to have these awakenings and these epiphanies of I meant to work with these types of people. I meant to be this beacon of light. I meant to, you know, hold them through their journeys. And so that's really where all of that took off. Um, And I worked in addictions until the pandemic and then, yeah, started my business. Wow. Do you want to share more about your sobriety journey? I know that wasn't like in the list of (laughs) discussion points that we had talked about, but if you're open to, do you want to share more about that? Yes, of course. I'm happy to. I mean, I have no shame. Um, As you shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I definitely did. I had shame for a long time. It's probably what kept me um, in the dark, but I had an addiction to alcohol and then of course, coming with alcohol for me was drugs, MDMA, cocaine in particular, um, for just over 10 years. And I, it started when I was in my early teens, I experienced a lot of childhood trauma experienced, I mean, like all of us, right. We've all experienced trauma in our, in our own right. And, um, you know, anyone listening, if you have experienced trauma or any type of abuse, like know that there are people out there that can help you and, and guide you through it and you're not alone. Um, so I didn't understand what had happened to me when I was young, when I was abused. And so when I was abused again in my teens, it brought up so much trauma that because, of course, trauma lives in the body mm-hmm. and my mind had forgotten, but my body hadn't and not knowing how to cope alcohol seemed like the only way, you know, alcohol kept me, kept me warm and, and helped me forget and, you know, all the things. Mm -hmm. And it was an on and off addiction. I was very high functioning. You know, I went to school, I got my degree, I worked, um, but I was binge drinking on the weekends. I was blacking out every time I drank. I, I was really using it as a way to cope. It was, it was an addictive behavior, but it was also a maladaptive coping mechanism that was keeping me safe, right? At the time it was keeping me safe. Um, And 
it's interesting because I share this and a lot of people are like, oh, really? So when I started working in addictions, I was still drinking. I had stopped doing drugs, um, but I was still drinking, not as often, but still to the same degree, right? Like I might not have been drinking as often as I was before. Like, you know, at one point it was every day. Um, maybe it was like on the weekends, but I was still going to that blackout point, right? Like I, I didn't have a relation. I didn't have a healthy relationship with alcohol. I didn't know how to. Um, and as I started working with these incredible women, these incredible individuals who had been through what I perceived as hell and back compared to my journey, even though, you know, we shouldn't compare because all of our journeys are painful and beautiful in their own right. Um, it was a bit of a subconscious awakening, I guess you could say, because <laughs> underneath I knew something had to change. But it wasn't until uh, January 1st, 2019, I woke up after a very intense New Year's Eve. And I just said, I, I can't do this anymore. I didn't recognize myself. I was making decisions that um, were really were really a big detriment to my overall health. And so instead of putting a date on it, because in the past I would be like, oh, I'm going to stop drinking for a month. And then that month would come up and then you'd like go all out again to celebrate not drinking for a month. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't put a timeline on it. I just said, you know, I'm going to stop this. This isn't something that I can I can do. I can't support myself through this anymore. And I was really lucky that my parents were so supportive. My mom had been worried for years about my my addiction and my relationship with alcohol. So I had such a great support system, but then also working in an environment that was sober was yeah. so healing because you're around not only these residents, but staff who also have chosen not to drink or um, have that lifestyle that I was engaging with, right? The partying. Um, and then two months after I stopped drinking, I found out that I had liver disease. So that was a sign from the universe don't drink, <laughs> you know, like stay on this path, wow. stay on this, mm -hmm. this path to healing. And for those of you listening or thinking, oh my gosh, did that happen because of her drinking? No, actually it didn't. I asked all my doctors, I was like, could this be, um, it, I actually ended up with liver disease, um, hepatic adenomas, fancy way of saying liver tumors from the birth control pill. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a whole other story. That's a whole other interesting uh, sign though, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you have a compromised liver already. You definitely don't want to be, um, yeah. Harming it with alcohol. Yeah. So that, uh, kicked off my, my journey of sobriety, which brought me right back to my spirituality, um, at my mm -hmm. core essence. Um, I'm sure, some listening or maybe you know you can relate to Emily in your own way or what you know is like when our energetic vibration is low specifically from things like drugs or alcohol uh we call in a lot of low energetic vibrations and mm -hmm. I ended up working with the with spirit in a way that wasn't healthy for a long time because I just wasn't at the energetic vibration to hold that amount of energy so getting sober allowed me to really like release a lot of those shadows that were tied to that and then step into my divine power for sure. Wow. Wow. Did you say January 2019 is when you had your like no more moment? Yes. Oh my gosh. So that's pretty recently. And like, just to look at how far you've come and like 
how brightly you're shining now and how just healed and well you seem, which is why I asked you um, to share a little bit more because I just sense intuitively and from the little bit of time that I've known you, like you're so empowered, you're so healed. Um, and you've, I know you've mentioned it a few times about um, the sobriety journey, but I didn't realize it was that recently. And it just goes to show you how quickly things can shift and how quickly you know, you can heal your life. And I think that's so empowering for everyone listening. So um, yeah, so thank you so much for for being willing to share that. And again, I know I sprung that on you, so. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. And thank you for, you know, acknowledging my growth. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's massive. Um, and yeah, I think like we could do an entire episode just on, on trauma and addictions. And so many people think that addictions are just like, oh, the substance is addictive. And that's why people just get too obsessed with it. And then they get addicted. It's like, it's always to numb something. It's yes. always trauma. Yes. Um, and so like, why not get people the support they need to heal from their trauma? And then we can eliminate these problems. This happens a lot with um, our indigenous communities, right? We have so many people, um, we have like an addictions crisis and it's because of all the trauma and intergenerational trauma <sighs> that just so needs to be addressed. But anyway, as I said, that could be an entire episode on its own. Um, I also want to, want to unpack with you what it's been like, um, because your work is now infused with Hinduism, which is amazing. Um, and I'm wondering what it's been like to reconnect with your roots in this way, and kind of what that journey has been like as a biracial um, white passing, as you call yourself, woman who's dedicated to reclaiming Hindu ways of life. Because I imagine that there's that's been a very rewarding journey, but also a very challenging journey. Yeah. Oh, it has. <laughs> it's been, uh, you know, two sides to every coin. Um, mm -hmm. My my grandparents. So my mom's side. Uh, my mom is from Trinidad. And my grandparents are from Trinidad, but if we uh, go back a few generations, um, we have roots in India. We also have some roots in Africa. Um, but my my grandma was Muslim and my grandpa was Hindu, if we're looking at it from a quote unquote religious uh, standpoint. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they, of course, like they met when they were still living in Trinidad and from an Indian perspective, like arranged marriage is just very normalized. Um, so my grandfather had to ask my grandmother or for my grandma's hand in marriage before he could take her on a first date. And within this, because of them coming from different religious backgrounds, there was a bit of tension. Although from what I understand, my grandma's side weren't practicing Muslims, my grandpa's side was practicing Hindu. So when they decided to eventually, you know, like he had to ask her for a random marriage. So she family said yes before they went on their first date. But mm -hmm. as much as it was partially an arranged marriage, it was also a love marriage. So they they were lucky in the sense that uh they did fall in love. Um, and when they got married, they had a Hindu wedding. Um, you know, the whole shebang, it's usually about seven days. I used to go to a lot of Hindu weddings when I was little. I haven't been to one in, in quite some time. But anyways, um, one of the big things that uh, has helped or that I've been focusing on as a 
Indian woman uh, of Hindu descent is reclaiming my Hindu roots because when my grandparents moved to Canada, uh, they converted to Christianity. So, you know, my grandma's not very open to talking about this with me. So I've had to really pick pieces of the puzzle out for over mm-hmm. the years to understand. Um, and also doing my own ancestral healing work, I've really received messages from my ancestors on and on the why and, and you know, the, the details. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to assimilate, right? They didn't want to be seen as outsiders. They didn't want to be rejected. There was a lot of fear moving to Canada that they wouldn't be able to have the type of life that they wanted or that they could have had in Trinidad, but there's a lot of corruption in Trinidad, uh, which is why they chose to leave. And so when they moved here, not only did they decide to you know, convert to Christianity to feel part of this culture, mm-hmm. Uh, the Canadian culture, I guess we could call it. What is that? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but beyond that, you know, my grandpa was a very well-known pharmacist in Trinidad. When he moved here, none of that was recognized. So he had to go come back to school and ended up becoming a dentist. Um, but it just goes to show how much, you know, I have so much appreciation for everything that they, that they did and that my grandma still does to this day to support me and allow me to live the life of my dreams, even though she might not fully understand everything I'm doing. <laughs> she has told me in the past that some of the work I do is the devil's work. So there's things there. Uh, but, you know, I respect her and I love her and I know that's coming from a place of love at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so... For me, growing up, I knew I was brown, right? I knew I was Indian. I went back to Trinidad often enough. And um, I remember like practicing, uh, you know, certain like celebrating Diwali and celebrating Navaratri and these other Hindu festivals that weren't necessarily considered Hindu festivals in our household. They were just things that my grandpa and grandma would engage in. and, And I spent a lot of time with them as a kid. So I just kind of was exposed um but growing up you know was an Indian holiday it's just a holiday yeah it's just a holiday right exactly right right? Mm -hmm. and and we celebrated Christmas and we celebrated Easter and we celebrated all the Christian holidays as well yeah um and you know my dad is white so I I went to a school um went to a private girls school from grade four to grade 12 and there wasn't a lot of different races at the school. Um, my friends used to joke that they didn't need to have any bi- like biracial friends because they had me. Um, or they had another one of our girlfriends who was African-American or African-Canadian, oh. I should say, sorry. And so I, I started to internalize a lot at a young age of mm-hmm. you know what it meant to be socially acceptable, and that was white. Um, so I suppressed a lot of my Indianness, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. you could say. I dyed my hair. I didn't want to have dark hair. I, um, you know, started shaving my legs at a very young age because I was made fun of for having so much hair. I remember boys mm-hmm. teasing me that I had a, you know, they were jealous of my mustache, you know, like things that made me feel so ashamed to be Indian and to be brown. So it was just easier for me to just pretend that I was only white. And I am white passing. I mean, summertime, I am 
you know, a beautiful color. I love summertime. I love when I, you know, I feel at my, my most like, um, pure self. And then, yeah. you know, cold weather comes. I don't know yeah. what happens. It's Same. just my skin's oh like, sweet. <laughs> and I remember being a kid and I didn't want to get tanned. I didn't want to go in the sun. Like there were so many things that mm-hmm. I internalized mm-hmm. about myself for being wrong because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I know you can relate and I know there are listeners who can relate and it's yeah. devastating when you say it out loud. I mean, when I first started going, when I, when I first started somatic type of therapy again, when I was in my mid twenties, I focused on that. I focused on healing the shame that I'd been carrying for years and years and years mm-hmm. for being Brown, for being an Indian passing or an Indian person, you know, par- white passing Indian person. And it really wasn't until I think I started my yoga teacher training in 2020 that um, like when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, well, I can't work. I'm going to become a yoga teacher, which I have been wanting to do for amazing years. Uh, I've been practicing yoga for 15 years, <laughs> but um, I started to learn about the different, uh, technically they're Hindu goddesses, although in a yoga cleanse, they're tantra goddesses because they're both. And so I started learning and I was like, this speaks to me on a level that I can't even put into words. It was just like every part of me felt seen. Every part of me felt held and loved and cared for. And then I would kind of get like glimpses of my childhood being like, oh, wait, yeah, of course I know who Ganesh is because we had a Ganesh statue. Like, of course I know who this goddess is because I remember seeing this in my grandparents' house. And Mm -hmm. so when I started to learn about Hindu mythology, I went to my grandma and I told her and she she was funny about it. She was cute. She was like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, I'm like, is there anything you want to share with me? Like, I know you weren't Hindu, but grandpa was. And she goes, no, but I'll tell aunties, you Hindu girl. It's like, okay. <laughs> so she was accepting, but she she has dis- disconnected and dissociated herself so much from those parts yeah. of her that she just doesn't identify with that anymore. And so this work that I'm doing, that I have been doing for myself, has also been for my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going if there's more. I'm just like, oh, yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's been a process of decolonization for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I I said to people before, you know, we t- when we talk about um, racism, you know, racism doesn't just show up from white people. It shows up in our own communities. And mm-hmm. I love my grandma to death, but she is racist. And that is from her being colonized and believing yeah. that, you know, the darker your skin, the less wealthy you are. Wow. Yeah. And that's something that still, well, we haven't gone on a family vacation in a while because my grandma's 90, but um, our last family vacation, she kept telling me to stop going in the sun. I was getting too dark. I was getting wow. too dark. She said, they're going to think you're a Dominican traveling back to Canada because we were in the Dominican. I was like, no, grandma they are not like wow. okay but she would not go in the sun she would not go in the sun she did not want to tan yeah. she did not want to be viewed as less wealthy than she used herself yeah she's internalized the oppression yeah and that's that's 
that's exactly what happened. Like I'm relating so hard over here. I know so many people listening are relating so hard. That's exactly what the colonizers wanted. That's what colonization did. And like, even the fact that you said they felt they had to convert to Christianity to fit into quote unquote Canadian culture. It was like, they created that. They decided Christianity was the dominant religion and that they were politically, religiously, intellectually, physically superior to the indigenous people of Canada um, who have beautiful spirituality practices and worldviews in their own right. Right. And like they decided that their way was the right way and was going to be the Canadian way. And they made all of us indigenous people assimilate and even immigrants coming feel like they need to assimilate, which is why um, when we use the word settler to refer to like European Canadians, like technically anyone who's not indigenous, you could consider them a settler, but settler really means like those who feel settled and comfortable in a land that's not actually theirs because immigrants don't feel comfortable here either because there's that dot that colonization is really like it's white supremacy it's another word for white supremacy it's the it's founded in the idea that one race is right and it's superior and it's it's the way and if you're not that way you're wrong and you're less than and you're less worthy and that's what's so interesting is like it trickles into literally every system every organization every industry and even gets internalized in people's own minds especially like our grandparents our parents like we we've all been indoctrinated into this colonized world and way of thinking and our parents and our grandparents even more so because i feel like our generation now is honestly like we're here to heal from this we're here to reclaim our roots we're here to be the ones to wake up um, and I feel this, I feel your story so deeply as I try to connect to my own indigenous roots and like very same, my, my dad, who is the Mohawk one is like not very interested in engaging in learning the language, nor do his parents seem to be, they're not very open to talk about it. And I get it, it's, tra it's trauma, it's traumatic, right? Um, and there's been many, many traumas in my family that have stemmed from racism and racist experiences. So. Yeah, I was just like relating so hard over here, um, but I applaud you for reconnecting with your roots because it's one thing when you like grow up with that in your household all the time and maybe you didn't own it as a kid, but now you are owning it. But like when you have to do the work yourself and reconnect yourself, um, it's a whole other thing. And then there can be like lateral violence and lateral shaming within the community. Now, we, now you're not Indian enough or now you're not indigenous enough. Oh my goodness. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a Sanskrit tattoo on my left uh, shoulder. It's my grandpa's name. And I have had, I've, you know, traveled all over the world and I've had um, Indian people ask me, why do you have that? Get angry at me because I don't look Indian enough to have a Sanskrit tattoo. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then you have even like your own grandma saying, don't get too dark. Like it's hopefully everyone listening can see how this, this type of experience leads to not enough because you're not enough for the white spaces and you're not enough for, you know, the Indian spaces or the indigenous space or the black spaces or whatever. This is something all biracial people can relate to. And there's so many of us that are, that are dual heritage that are biracial. And so it just equals, I am not enough and I don't fit in anywhere and I don't belong anywhere. And so like 
when it comes to the coaching world and the manifestation world, there's, there's like so many extra layers of healing that need to be done first before we can just take up space and claim what's ours and quantum leap. It's like, and stand in the power, stand in your power. It's like, well, we have oppression literally in our DNA and you have entitlement in your DNA. If you're a, if you're a European settler, like it's actually in your DNA to know how to take what's not even yours. <laughs> and entitlement can be healthy as my mentor, Asha Frost says, like, we don't necessarily mean entitlement in a bad way. Entitlement can be really healthy, but what allies and white folks need to understand is that like, we don't, we don't all come with that programming in us. Um, and it, it's a lot of work that we're, we're kind of scrambling behind the scenes doing to try to recre- reclaim that entitlement and reclaim our roots. And so, yeah, I, I really admire you for reclaiming your roots and bringing Hinduism into your work. I think it's so beautiful um, and, and needed as well. And I wanted to talk about manifestation because I know a lot of it is rooted in Hinduism. So do you want to share like what parts of manifestation are actually are rooted in Hinduism? Yeah. So this could be a talk for like, we could talk for hours. So I'm, I was like, okay, I'm going to pick a few points <laughs> that I know yes. are, are like the ones I really want to hit home with. And so, you know, the chakra system, right. And for those of you out there, whether you you know, love the chakras, you, you teach about them, you are learning about them, you want to teach about them, whatever, you know, race you are, I just ask, first and foremost, that you pronounce it chakra, chakra, it is not chakra, that is a colonialized way of saying the word. I just want to say, yeah, I've been so guilty of saying chakra and thank you for teaching me how to say it properly. I feel so embarrassed. I totally have said chakra like many times um, until I stopped talking about them. (laughs) When you hear it even in the media, when you hear it on TV shows, people say chakra because it Mm. sounds nicer, right? And like, because some white person along the way decided this sounds better and I'm going to say it this way. It's literally what happened. And so Sanskrit is a very heavy language, okay? It is just, I mean, the word originates from kakra, which means energy wheel. Mm -hmm. And so when we are, you know, when you are, whether, again, you're teaching about it, you're just talking about it, you know, you're sharing with your friends or family, if you don't want to appropriate, say the word right. Yeah, like for <laughs> starters. I, yeah, that's just a, right. like, yeah. like yeah. foundation level. And I'm not saying I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed. If you feel embarrassed, you know, like bring your hands over your heart, show yourself compassion. You didn't know any better, but now mm-hmm. you know better. So when we know better, we do, we do better, better and we be better. And that's all, that's all we can do. So that's what I just had to start with first and foremost, because it grinds my gears and I've held <laughs> back from yeah. correcting people for so long in fear of people being angry with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. There, yeah. there goes some of my own, you know, things that I've had to work with. And so I bring up the chakra system because if you're not familiar, the chakras um, originated in the Vedas. The Vedas are the most ancient Hindu text. Um, And we're going back to about 1500 BCE, and that's what we know. So we're going back further than that, let's be honest. But so many cultures have worked with the chakra system. Egyptians, Buddhists, Chinese, Greeks, indigenous people, Incas, the Maya, like just to name a few. This is a system that's been recognized in cultures over the years. And they recognize that the chakra system, these energy centers are 
this natural reflection of the the beauty of the of nature and of the cosmos that lives within ourselves right that's intertwined within our physical beings and so so often when we're learning about manifestation the law of attraction we're working really with visualization we're working with our our minds i like to put in quotations because really you're manifesting you're using your whole body you're using your whole system but the whitewashed way, because of course the law of attraction was coined by some white man that I forgot his name because I can't be bothered to remember his name if you want my honest opinion. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he he was the one who started saying, you know, we, you know, we like attracts like, which there is science behind that. And I'm not here to argue that, but that what we, you know, what we visualize becomes our reality and all these different things that you're taught, whether it's scripting or um, different types of meditation or hypnosis or you know, rituals, whatever it is, there's so many ways that we're taught how to manifest. But when we're looking at it from a Hindu lens, we're working with Ajna, our third eye chakra, right? Ajna is our connection to our intuition. It is our sixth sense, or Mm -hmm. as I like to put it, our first sense, because I really think (laughs) we're born into life with our intuition inside of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it is the center of our spiritual wisdom and insight. It's the chakra that's fueled by openness and imagination, which is manifestation, really. Um, Ajna uh, in Sanskrit translated roughly means to perceive, right? To perceive. So when we're manifesting, we're perceiving something as it's going to be or as it's not going to be, depending on on what you believe, because I do think we're manifesting our reality every minute of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in Hinduism and in yogic philosophy and all these other cultures, the third eye was, you know, that area where we transcended duality, where we understood that we aren't separate from the divine. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Ajna is just one of our seven main chakras, <laughs> right? We have Muladhara, the root chakra. We have Spatisana, the sacral plexus. We have Manipura, the solar plexus. We have Anahata, the heart. We have Vijuda, the throat. Of course, Ajna, the third eye, and Sasarada, the, the crown. And so when we're working with manifestation and you're coming at it from a Hindu lens, you're working with your whole system. You're not neglecting your your body, your physical body, where your root, where your sacral plexus and where your solar yeah. plexus, and then of course your heart, because the heart connects us from our physical body to our spiritual body. Um, we're working with all of it. And so what I find, you know, the coaching world's manifestation, law of attraction, that kind of energy is missing is the body. Yeah. Because if you are not feeling internally safe, if you are not rooted, if you are not connected to your physical vessel in the root, if you are not healing your connection with your sacral, your energetic womb space where creativity is birth, where abundance is birth, where we connect with other people, if you are not healing your ego, which is living in your solar plexus, we are mm. not able to manifest from a place of true divine love. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're not manifesting from a place of true divine love, we're allowing the wounded masculine the control the ego, the pushing, the forcing to be our driving force. And then we're just perpetuating everything that the patriarchy has put placed on us for thousands and thousands of years. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for all of that. um, And for enlightening us. Um, This is why I'm so excited, everybody, that Hannah is going to be on our panel at the round table. 
um, Decolonize Your Coaching Biz. It's it's a two-hour virtual event. And one thing that we're going to talk about on the panel is like, how can how can teachers and coaches and mentors bring in elements of Hinduism and honor manifestations roots like without appropriating it? And is it is it appropriate for white women to teach some of this stuff? And what do they do, um, you know, to properly honor manifestations roots? So I'm really excited to have you on um, on for that panel. But just to answer a little bit of that now, like what, where can somebody start if they want to learn about manifestation through this Hindu lens? And should everyone learn about it and or teach it? Is that appropriate? Okay, I have three books here that I wanted to share. Ooh. So first and foremost, to start with the Bhagavad Gita. This is like where everyone should start. And this is the newer translation um, by Stephen Mitchell, the translator for um, Tao Jung Ching. Anyways, it's it's because this is written in Sanskrit, right? And really when we're when we're reading about anything in relation to Hinduism and Hindu mythology, I just want to reiterate that this is coming from the Rishis. This is coming from the sages. Uh, this has been oral tradition that has been passed down for thousands of years. And we are just lucky that we had, you know, the Bhagavad Gita was written um, yes. and that we can access it as um, those who maybe only read and uh, speak and write English. Yeah. So amazing. It's powerful. Um, I'm actually, before we end, I want to flip to a page and read something from here. Do a yes. little bit of uh, Yoga, Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali are, is another really beautiful one. It can come, it can be a little bit um, hard to digest. So these are books that I read over and over and over and over again. You can just read mm -hmm. them because you're going to get something different from the teachings every time. And then this is one of my favorites, um, Nawa Yogini Tantra, which is yoga for women. So a lot of people don't know, or maybe they do know this, that yoga was made for prepubescent boys. Mm. Yoga was not designed for people with female bodies or people born into a female body. Um, so this book really wow. was enlightening for me as a yoga teacher. Interesting, because it's so it's so female dominated. Yeah, especially white female. Yes, especially wow. white female. But that's that's a that's a whole other thing. So, anyways, those are <laughs> good is. books to start with. Um, they are going beyond the chakra system okay the chakra system is so basic so and then I don't mean that in a bad way because like I I have studying the chakra system and learning about when my chakras are in and out of balance and being able to have different embodiment practices and healing techniques to bring them back into balance has absolutely changed my life there's no doubt about it but that is just the starting place so if you are out there if you are listening if you are a white person or if you are someone who is not of Indian or Hindu descent um I, I encourage you to go beyond the chakra system. I encourage you to dive deeper. I encourage you to follow more Indian women on social media. I encourage you to yeah. open your clientele to Indian women. I encourage you to um, not let your ego get in the way of learning from someone different than you. Mm -hmm. I do believe that this, this work you know, the teachings, the, the ancient knowledge, the wisdom can help us help every single person on this planet heal on a deep cellular level. So I encourage everyone to learn about it, of Hindu culture, of Hinduism, of 
you know, different types of, uh, of Indian practices, but of all different types of cultures and races. Like we are, we, we don't need to live in a box. (laughs) Anyway, I could get very passionate about that. Please, well, I love it. Right? I'm <laughs> like, like yes, I'll yes, yes, yes. for the round table. Um, but <laughs> when when it comes to teaching it, at least the the bare minimum you can do is learn from an Indian woman or an Indian yeah. person. Learn mm-hmm. from a person of Hindu or Indian descent, first and foremost. If you're learning from another white person, then question where did they learn from? Who gave them yeah. that information? Where did they find that information? Also, are they practicing what they preach? Because I guarantee you, a lot of them aren't. And I don't say that in a way to shame or guilt anyone, but to wake up that this is more than just printing out a picture of a goddess that you like, of Lakshmi on Pinterest and putting it on your vision board. Lakshmi not going to come to you with her picture on your vision board. Clean your damn kitchen. Maybe she'll come. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. There's, uh, yes, I I have we're going to have so much for the round table. Like don't worry about giving it all here or whatever. Cause (laughs) trust me, like there's so much to unpack here. Um, there's, there's so much and, and I'm feeling so much, um, in common with you just with indigenous culture too, where people, white people want to take the pretty, the pretty parts of the culture and the fun parts of the culture. But it's like, in, in, in the case of Hinduism, it's like, but are you actually like cleaning your kitchen and doing the, you know, putting the feast so and doing your own, um, like the proper rituals and where are you learning the information from? Or are you just putting, yeah, putting a picture or a statue in your house and thinking that you can just take what you want from the goddesses that serve you and leave what doesn't. And, and also like with indigenous culture and with Indian culture, Like, are you also willing to lean in and learn about the pain and the oppression of the people who have fought tooth and nail to keep this culture, these religions, these beliefs, these practices alive, despite every odd? Because that's something that I actually just this morning, it just dawned on me to be thankful that there is still like remnants of my culture available, because I usually feel so like so upset and so bad for myself that so much of my culture was lost. My whole language was lost. I didn't grow up with ceremonies and protocols in my household. And and a lot of times I'm really sad about that. And then today it hit me like, it's actually really amazing that there still are powwows that I can go to. And there are people trying to keep the language alive. And there are somehow, like somehow there were people who refused to let go of the language and refused to let go of the sacred medicines. And like, it just gives me chills and all the gratitude, but like, yeah, if you're going to use the pretty beautiful parts of our culture, I invite you to also lean in and really learn about the ancestral pain and the oppression and, and the other parts as well, because not everything is just yours to take what you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's my soapbox. I love everything you said. I'm just over here and my head is nodding. I'm just like feeling it all so deeply in in my heart and in my soul. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like you said, like we, we appreciate people wanting to honor these ancient teachings and this ancient wisdom, but don't appropriate, appropriate it for your own personal gain. 
Exactly. Yeah. And again, we're going to talk. Hannah um, has graciously agreed to help share some of that at the roundtable and the panel. We're going to talk more about how to honor manifestations work, how to work with these different um, cultures and teachings without appropriating in your spiritual slash coaching business. Um, but Hannah, is there anything else on your heart that you want to share? And maybe you can read that little um, snippet for us. Yes. And we'll, I'll put the link to those books as well. Thank you for that. And thanks for everything you've shared. Oh my goodness. You've given us so much. Oh, you're so, you're so welcome. Okay. I'm just uh, turning to a page. I'm like, I don't want one that's too long. And it's amazing that it's in a book and it's in English. Like I can really appreciate that too, because indigenous um, <clears throat> teachings are also oral. And I had a friend ask me once, like, I'm just curious, where do your beliefs, what are they rooted in? Like, like a Bible, et cetera. And like, that's the only example she could think of was like, like, is it from a Bible? And I was like, well, no, everything was oral. So, and even that because of colonization makes it feel like that's less legit because it's not in writing. You oh know? my gosh. Yes. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. Really, like <laughs> it just goes to show how ancient all of these practices, these teachings, these rituals are because it's been oral tradition, because yeah. it was before people knew how to write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I, I turned to chapter five and chapter five in the Bhagavad Gita is the yoga of renunciation. And so Arjuna said, you have praised both renunciation and the yoga of action, Krishna. Tell me now of these two, which is the better path? The blessed Lord said, renunciation and yoga both lead to the ultimate good. But of the two paths, Arjuna, yoga is more direct. The true enunciate neither desires things nor avoids them, indifferent to pleasure and pain. He is easily freed from all bondage. Fools say that knowledge and yoga are separate, but the wise do not. When you practice one of them deeply, you gain the rewards of both. The state reached by true knowledge is reached by yoga as well. Both paths lead to the self. Both lead to selfless action. It is hard to renounce all action without engaging in action. The sage, wholehearted in the yoga of action, soon attains freedom. Wholehearted, purified, mastering body and mind, his self becomes the self of all beings. He is unstained by anything he does. The man who has seen the truth thinks, I am not the doer. At all times, when he sees, hears, touches, when he can smell, eat, walk, sleep, breathe, when he defecates, talks, or takes hold, when he opens his eyes or shuts them, at all times he thinks, this is merely sense objects acting on the senses. Wow. <sighs> so profound. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And like, as you were, as you were reading and just looking so proud, I, I got like <laughs> emotional just looking at how, you know, and thinking of how proud I am of you, because I know exactly what it's like to to fight tooth and nail to reconnect with your own roots and to see you standing there so proud reading this for us. It's just, it just fills my heart so much. And I know so many people listening will, will resonate as well. So that was beautiful. Thank you. I'm all emotional now over here. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, I, it felt, it feels so beautiful to be seen um, as an Indian person um, I am non-binary, so I do go by she, they, and, you know, something I will touch on when we do the round table as well is how 
the energy of being non-binary also dates back to, you know, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago in these cultures. And I, I know indigenous culture as well, but in, in Indian culture and Hinduism, where gender was not a thing. <laughs> yes, 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 where, yes, yes. That is right? something like, colonialism the patriarchy placed gender upon us and Mm -hmm. I believe the reason I resonate so deeply with this work as well of bringing these ancient teachings back is because I am non-binary and I don't fit the mold and I don't fit these gender constructs and I don't abide by these gender constructs so it's been extremely liberating to be here on the soul's way with you to speak my truth and and stand in my power feeling safe to do so which has taken years and years and years so thank you that means so much and that's exactly why we have these conversations and that's why I do what I do so thank you thank you like you as you all listening can see like and hear <laughs> there's so much we have to learn from you Hannah um and so uh, it's been an honor um thank you again and thanks for agreeing to do the round table with us so everyone make sure you grab your ticket to the round table it's October 15th includes a replay as well um, but Hannah, can you let people know also where they can connect with you directly and check out your work? Yeah, of course. So you can find me on Instagram at healing.with.hannah. You can check me out on my website, uh, healingwithhannah.ca. And if you're interested in my book, you can find it online on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, just to name a few. And again, the name of my book is Entering the Divine, One Breath at a Time. And of course, if anything really stuck out to you today during our conversation, send me a message on Instagram. I'm always happy to chat. I love connecting with like-minded individuals. I love connecting with white folk who want to do better, be better, learn more uh, without the appropriation. And um, I'm just so excited for the roundtable event. So definitely join us on October 15th or buy your ticket as an ally and catch the recording if you can't come live because what Emily is doing is absolutely phenomenal. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks again. Yeah, we'll put all of the links we mentioned today in the show notes. Um, Thanks so much again for your time and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks again so much for listening. The best way you can thank a podcaster if you got any value from this episode at all or helped you in any way, the best way to thank a podcaster is to share. Take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram at Emily Ann Grant, send it to a friend and let me know your thoughts. I cannot wait to connect with you. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Emily Ann Grant or join the Facebook group, The Soul's Way. Thanks again for being here. Cheers to your magic.